This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please, leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 25 of The Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston, and I am the producer of this podcast. For this episode, we will be talking with Dr. Jane Kesey about uh, some of her work. She has two new books out. One is called Step In, Step Up. That one she co-authored. And then also, she has another book called Holistic Leadership Thriving Schools. Uh, You probably are most familiar with her work through Differentiated Coaching, which is also in a second edition. We'll talk more about that uh, right off the bat in the episode itself. So I do want to say a few things, though, before we jump in, Uh, one being that this was a great privilege. Um, I have been familiar with her work. In fact, her work introduced me to the the world of coaching because it is the introductory text we use in Albemarle County Schools for new coaches. So that was where I started and um, to be able to have the opportunity to talk to her in person or I guess I should say um, one-on-one over the internet um, was was really great and I, I really enjoyed it. You may remember that we also did a episode early on about differentiated coaching and I just want to clarify that one was focused on the first edition so uh, we'll go into some detail a little bit about the differences between the first edition and the second edition and um, yeah well I think that gives you something to work with let you know what we're getting into um, why don't we go ahead and get started and then you'll hear me on yeah, the voila. <laughs> how are you doing good how are you I'm doing well and uh, you're you're in Minnesota is that right that's right where it yeah. is uh, finally spring and the trees are budding and the ducks are flying and it's good wonderful yeah I was just curious what it was like up there my folks we all come from North Dakota so uh, there is no uh, summer there really <laughs> you know you get like oh half come on a year. so did you were you from North Dakota too or uh yeah I was born in uh, the Grand Forks area okay my dad was from Enderlin which is I think 50 miles south of Grand okay, Forks so closer to Fargo so yeah. I'm familiar when when they had their uh all school reunion this would be like 30 years ago and they were doing a bus tour of Enderlin I said dad I want to go with you I want to know where they're taking a bus right because uh, I know the whole town and I've only been there once but uh, no they were going out to the sunflower seed factory and oh, yeah. uh, some things like that with people yeah, it's really amazing to be out there in the summer and see the sunflower fields it's uh, it's pretty impressive um, well, do you want to start with going into the differentiated coaching, the new edition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you know the the new differentiated coaching is set up around the polarities. And I actually haven't had a chance to get into the new edition. I've, oh. I'm familiar with the uh, the first edition, so so I think that'll be a good place because especially with with the other podcast that I did with your work, that was first edition that we were talking about because I didn't know there was a second edition until I think the beginning of this year when our cohort that was coming in just started using it you got to use up the old ones there's no doubt about it yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I gave my last I gave my last three of the old ones away at a um, Minnesota learning forward workshop last Wednesday just saying I don't you know what I can't sell them I don't want to give them as a prize but they're on the table if someone doesn't have you know right they're still copying They disappeared. (laughs) Um, Yes, all three books have this idea of systems thinking that, you know, academic achievement, we have to focus on it. And if you overfocus on it, uh, not only do you have kids that are high anxiety um, measures that lead to cheating, et cetera, because it's a system. And if you push on one side, it bulges on the other and you get the Mm -hmm. downside of both. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's in, you know, in some way, shape or form in all three books. So then in, in regard to the second edition, what was it you felt may, made the call for a second edition necessary? Well, there's the uh, pragmatic piece of once a book is 10 years old, people start looking elsewhere. But also, uh, you know, as I went from using it in circles where I was present all the time, you know, the, the framework of differentiated coaching to teaching it to other people and then seeing them teach it, 
one of the things that kept coming back to me was things that I took for granted people were finding fault with. For example, yeah. the first edition talks about you've got to focus on the problems that teachers want to solve because it's the old elephant in the living room uh, phenomenon where they can't stop looking at whatever they um, are struggling with. You know, mm-hmm. No matter what the school initiative is, uh, the teachers also have their own needs and their own how do I get this working in my classroom sorts of um, things. So I was thinking, yes, you focus on what the um, teachers need to solve, even as, of course, you're following the school initiatives. But people saw that as an either or. And, uh, okay. um, you know, I, I found four of those really quickly in how people were having trouble um, implementing what is really just supposed to be differentiating for teachers the same way we want them to differentiate for students. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the same, you know, in, in between, uh, in those intervening 10 years, I'd also become very familiar with something called polarity thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's as natural as breathing. If I told you to hold your breath and you held your breath and you held your breath and you held your breath, eventually you'd need to exhale. And right. if I asked you which is better, inhaling or exhaling, what would you say? Well, after you've held your breath for a while, you'd say exhaling's pretty good. <laughs> and of course, if you exhale and exhale and exhale, you have to inhale. They're interdependent. Right. Um, we've worked with them since we were born, but we all run out of breath occasionally. I mean, like, when do you have to consciously manage how you breathe? What kinds of activities are? You know, when you're when you're running, when you're when you're stressed, when your body's yeah. uh, interacting with something that is making demands upon it. Exactly. And have you ever run out of breath? No, never. I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so if you think of that as, as an interdependency, uh, education is full of these same kinds of interdependencies. And that's one of the main things that I've tried to get across in the second edition, mm-hmm. uh, to move from either or thinking, which is a simple thing to do if only the world were simple, and mm-hmm. embrace this idea of both and. So okay. it's yes, we need to, you know, understand what the teachers do best because they have to lead from their strengths in the classroom. And we have to go with what research tells us teachers need to do and with what the school vision is. Those are interdependent. If you over-focus on either one, you get the downside of both. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to focus on what the teachers need during change. If you think of a first-year introverted teacher who'd rather have a rather... Uh, quiet classroom so that she keeps her own energy up and you ask her to run literature circles her needs are different from an extroverted teacher who loves lots of things going on Uh, but at the same time that we're coaching that introverted teacher to work with literature circles and making them work for all the students the coach has to use his or her strengths and his or her resources that's interdependent the coach can't run out of energy either right Uh, you know, we have to focus, like I said earlier, on the teacher's concerns, whether it's, I don't know how to run the classroom, or there are students coming in. Um, I remember in, uh, in uh, the district where I did most of my research, we had students coming straight off the refugee boats, and teachers were almost panicked on how do I meet their needs when they mm-hmm. haven't even had their needs identified yet. And at the same time, they were having to you know, use data to inform instruction. Uh, They're both important. And then finally, evidence. Uh, There's so many different kinds of evidence that we can be using. And again, if we overfocus on just numbers and data and test score, then we miss equally crucial data as to student engagement and uh, teacher energy levels and uh, maybe even like behavior measures or mental health measures or other things, all kinds of interdependent data has to be part of how we're informing instruction. So, you know, that's the main difference in the two books is just trying to think more holistically in the second one so that people see this as um, differentiated coaching as integral to what else they're trying to do. Okay. So, so it sounds like um, based on the, the time you'd had to really grow with the initial work, what you were finding is there was a lot of uh, sort of concrete uh, sort of people just putting concrete yes or no on the way that it works and um, not looking at everything as sort of an interlocking mechanism that, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, I know that that's been a very real 
situation for me when I've been coaching. You know, you come in initially for one thing that you've been asked to to work around, and then you find out that there's these ten other things that are affecting the progress of that one. So, uh, yeah, that definitely feels very real to me. And it would be nice if we could be linear, but we don't live in a linear world. You know, there's a new acronym, VUCA, that we live it? in a VUCA. How, we live is in that a, a V? Yes. Volatile, uncertain, okay. chaotic, ambiguous world. Wow. Okay. And if, uh, <laughs> you know, and if we don't take that into account, we aren't focusing on the right problems. And it isn't that, that we aren't making strides in education, but we're certainly getting bulges in some areas, whether you're looking at uh, the growing unrest with teachers, not quite, at least in some states, not feeling like they're really able to do their jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the job is too big or the emphasis, you know, what we're seeing in some high pressure districts where students' uh, mental health is starting to suffer or just the fact that uh, what's being seen in behavior problems in young children may just be that we're so over-focused on academics that we're forgetting things like uh, creative play is actually the number one predictor of the kind of creativity we need to go beyond just memorizing information and on to being creative problem solvers and the things that companies are really looking for from our graduates. So mm-hmm. uh, it's all systems thinking yeah. is what we yeah, I think the the play thing, especially, uh, I'd been hearing more and more about that um, and the importance of it and being able to incorporate it into learning because, you know, the the very straightforward standards based learning doesn't really have a lot of wiggle room for that uh, that sort of attainment of a concept through discovery. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like I can see that stress sort of exhibiting itself in the way that the students, you know, have outlets for it. Well, and I think the, the other thing I was able to do with the second edition of differentiated coaching, I think if you've seen the first edition, you know that mm-hmm. it was based around the idea of personality type, not right. as um, the only way to coach, but as, hey, here's one way to get away from your mindset on uh, what teachers, quote unquote, should be doing or mm-hmm. the, uh, in some cases, what a best practice is, because um, how we teach is tied to our own beliefs and our own strengths. And so we can, you know, uh, as an outside coach, I'm often sent to the room of the teacher who's struggling the most. Yeah. And I'll often hear something like, you know what, we're, we're thinking about starting the procedure to have this teacher consider another career. And I'll walk oh, into wow. the classroom and I'll, I'll watch and I'll go, okay, so there's problems here. You know, this teacher needs support in some very key areas. And I can guarantee that this teacher is the opposite personality type, the opposite cognitive processing style of the school principal. So the principal is probably, or whoever the head of instructional coach is, has been trying their darndest to help. But, you know, we see the world as we are, not as the world really is. And so they're not meeting this person's needs. And, you know, I'm trying... In in the second edition, I was able to work with a company called Type Coach, and it comes with a free free code for people to actually unpack uh, their strengths and beliefs and get a a report that's tailored to education. So they can look at how people like them function in the world of education, how they like to team, how they like to learn, and the ways they might misinterpret students. Yeah, actually... um you know, we, we in Albemarle have used your, your work to induct coaches for the last probably five or six years. And type coach has actually been part of that. So I've, I've used that tool as well. Um, in fact, the, um, the thing that was, uh, was kind of interesting for me coming in with your work in differentiated coaching was really being able to put my finger on how best to use that, that, personality tool. And what happened was um, we're in an opt-in uh, model, right? So it's it's not something where I get sent in, I get asked in, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, or and except in the case of novices, we're in, we do novice induction for teachers. Um, and so there are a couple times where we did some backwards, um, backwards, you know, work on, okay, you know, I'll, I'll be co-coaching with somebody. And, and uh, there was one time in particular where we just kept hitting a wall with this one teacher. 
And so what we did was we sat down and we're like, all right, well, let's, let's break out differentiated coaching and see where we are. And we were able to, you know, piece it together and come in with a different approach. And I ended up going in solo because it seemed like maybe the two coaches was a, was an overwhelming thing for this one teacher. And uh-huh. um, we started making progress. And so, um, so it was interesting to kind of come to some of those realizations um, through your work. So when I think, you know, when I do workshops on differentiated coaching, the quote that gets tweeted out the most is, you know, my slide that says there are no resistant teachers. There are only teachers whose needs during change have not been met mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the philosophy we're asking teachers to take with students, you know, to have that growth mindset. And, uh, you know, one of the districts I was in was saying, it's just impossible. Our teachers are never going to have a growth mindset. And I just, I uh, had to laugh and say, do you hear what you're saying? Yeah, do you have the growth <laughs> mindset? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think, you know, this whole opening up, because, you know, the thing about uh, personality type, I mean, Carl Jung was right. It, our brain neuroscience is showing that we process information in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all know this. We all know there's big picture people and detail people. Mm-hmm. And um, we also make decisions with two different sets of criteria. Even as we mature and learn to blend them, some of us are more logic oriented. If then, can we have a universal rule? And others are more values oriented, not in a wishy-washy way, but if we're just, for example, if we're trying to treat each student as an individual, then how does this policy affect these refugee students, these mm-hmm. English language learners, these high flyers, these kids from high socioeconomic status homes versus low? They, you know, they automatically go to filtering through decisions um, by stepping into the shoes of everyone involved. And that's how Carl Jung described, described personality types. Uh, and we know now that if you're using the logic center of your brains, your emotion centers shut off and mm-hmm. vice versa. So um, by using personality type as a mindset check on ourselves, we're actually tapping into how people are hardwired. We all mature uh, or we become a curmudgeons, but most of us, yes, we go back and forth amongst what Jung described. But when we're stressed, uh, when we're learning something new, when we're trying to change, uh, the evidence says we default to this this hardwired way of seeing the world. So it's really useful both for the coach to go, what am I? What am I assuming? How am I misjudging? And I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you're experiencing this too, where the teacher goes, "Oh, there are students who want to do that," or "Oh my gosh, this new strategy or new curriculum frightens me so much because it's so opposite to my natural style." Now that I know that. I can move forward in learning it. And that's very different from um, just not knowing why something seems so wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got right now at one of my schools, they're, um, they're looking at de-leveling a few of the uh, core areas. And that's a huge point of consternation for, for a lot of the, the teachers. So definitely having some, some conversations of that sort. As you're talking about Carl Jung, I'm just curious, um, have you incorporated a lot of psychoanalysis into your work or is this I'm just I, <laughs> I, was, I just was like Carl Jung came up so <laughs> well that was the separate part of Carl Jung's work and uh, you know he he definitely was uh, far removed from what else was going on in the psychological world or psychiatric right. world a hundred years ago but his, his psychological types work came out of watching patients and how they responded to his techniques and going okay they're not all the same mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, that's where his framework came from. And, you know, you've heard of the Myers-Briggs. That was two right. American women who uh, were college educated in a time when most women didn't have high school diplomas, who actually came up with a pretty similar framework and then became students of Jung and made it accessible to the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, type coach is another way of finding your personality type that instead of any assessment, is an online experience where you watch videos and look at information and decide for yourself. So it works really well for people not feeling labeled. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is it's scalable. You know, you don't, you can um, get everyone having the same interpretation quickly. And, yeah. you know, that's been really fun for me to see because I can't be everywhere at once. And yeah. type is, is something that needs to be implemented well or it shouldn't be implemented at all. So. Uh, mm-hmm. You need the right tools. 
Yeah, I know for, for me, um, with our induction using that, um, we started off from that point so that we could do some strategic uh, partnering and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you know, see, you know, doing some role playing, what, you know, different different approaches might be the first couple of um, meetings that we had as, as new coaches. So it definitely, definitely was, uh, was necessary and, and helped to uh, get me uh, on the right foot. So. You know, in, in the workshops, I have uh, people with completely different cognitive styles sit together mm -hmm. and they try and plan professional development for the other side. And so they get real time. For feedback. the other side. What do you mean? <laughs> for <laughs> like, people who, for have a totally opposite way of processing the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember one group was trying to uh, teach their opposites about, oh, I know it was designing a piece of curriculum. And these detail-oriented coaches were outlining, well, you know, you'd have to do this, and here's what you'd read, and, you know, here's what you'd go for. And mm -hmm. their counterparts looked at them and said, you know, if you gave that to us, we'd never read it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first group said, but then how would you learn? And, and the other group started to explain what would work best. And both groups, you know, when, the other, when the other group went and tried to do it for their opposites, they struggled just as much. Mm -hmm. They said it was like trying to turn their brains inside out, really yeah. understanding what the other side needs. Yeah. So uh, good, I love coming up and hearing these discussions. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> well, worth a, doing. Yeah, there's a chapter in the book that tries to help you walk through, okay, if this is the strategy you're implementing, say it's high-level student discussions or mm -hmm. um, something that does have to be implemented with fidelity, you know, where uh, if you're not, you know, if you don't seat the students in certain ways, if you don't have certain prompts going, you will not get high-level discussions. So um, it walks through who is this easy for, uh, mm -hmm. who's really going to struggle. Okay, plan your PD accordingly. Mm -hmm. and uh which is what we want to do with students so you're just modeling how that can be done right right so looking at um i want to maybe transition into either uh either the holistic leadership book or step in step up i'm not sure where you'd prefer to go but i can see there being um, a way in from here um i noticed uh that holistic leadership's out this month and then you just released the uh, step in step up last month so you've been mm -hmm. busy um <laughs> so uh do you have a preference of where you'd like to head or well i think let's go to holistic leadership just because okay. the women's it seems like a natural transition yeah um you know i've been i've been an executive coach since the 1990s and then got invited into schools and did all my research in schools i have sort of a weird background mm -hmm. uh as far as uh, as some would see a, a coaching background, but, uh, you know, I've been using polarity thinking with business executives since, uh, you know, for almost 10 years now. And I was at solution tree asked me to do a school version of the book with this idea that if you concentrate too much on one thing as a leader, you end up with the downside of whatever the, the mm -hmm. parallel is. So, um, Holistic Leadership Thriving Schools is built around 12 polarities. Mm -hmm. And they're all things we're familiar with, but in our busy VUCA world, as we talked about it, it's so mm -hmm. easy to lose track. So it's as simple as uh, reality and vision. You know, a leader is charged with having a vision for the school. And mm -hmm. no matter what, the le what level you're at, what the research shows is people are watching the leader right above them. So if you're a teaching team leader, it's how you put out the vision, not how the person at the top puts out the vision. If you are yeah. um, the head of instructional coaching, you are as significant to those below you as the school principal is and on up the ladder. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great to have a vision, but people have to know that it's reachable and um, feel a personal connection that gets them out of bed in the morning. And that involves reality. Mm -hmm. you know, are you asking them to do something that they believe is attainable? that they have the resources to do, or are they keenly aware that too much is being asked of them? And I, you know, people will come back to, uh, on this polarity of reality and vision, I'll often get that, well, NASA put a man on the moon, you know, in eight years. Mm -hmm. And I just ask them to go look at the actual increase in the employees of NASA 
the facilities that were built, the money that was poured into it, and then say, yes, we can set those kinds of big, hairy, audacious goals. But NASA yeah. knew what the reality was of meeting it. You know, and I, I, I'm known for science fiction analogies. And I often say, you know, only on the deck of, or the bridge of the Starship Enterprise to saying, make it so, make it so. Yeah, uh, and yeah. If, if leaders have too many initiatives going, if there's not depth, then they've actually abdicated leadership responsibility because you don't know what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, so the book is a process. It's about true leadership development where you are taking time for reflection. Uh, it's situated in school leadership what school leaders have to pay attention to, not generalities about uh, leadership, whether you're the head of a pest control company or an elementary school, mm -hmm. it's school leadership. Uh, we start right in with what you're trying to accomplish, not glittering generalities or being a better principal or being a better instructional coach, but uh, it could be, uh, I've got a whole stack here from a workshop last week of goals that people set. And it's everything from, I have to be more empathetic to, mm -hmm. um, as we launch this initiative, how do I make sure trust is present to, uh, I have to set the vision and have, and be hearing it. So it's very much in your work. Uh, we have it to measure. Like, um, oh, go it ahead. sounds like what you're saying with those goals that you just quoted, that it's less about um, the stuff that needs to happen in the organization and more about the way that the person is filling that role as a leader. Does that make sense? Like the, like I need to do this so that I am a good leader. Does that exactly. make sense? Exactly. Okay. And, and the process, you know, you, you set it, it, it's a little different from a smart goal in that mm -hmm. um, a lot of the things I'm talking about aren't easily measured. We do figure out how to measure them, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if you've seen the current research on SMART goals that people are likely to set lower bars for themselves. Well, that and sounds course, about right from all the SMART goals I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and there's I mean, more cheating. It's, it's you know, funny when you think about it. I mean, it's called a SMART goal. And I mean, how many people would say, well, it's SMART for me not to outdo myself, you know, and, and create a situation I can't meet. Well, there's, there's one state that will remain nameless that the way they're putting out teacher compensation depends on you meeting your SMART goals yeah, and right. other teachers not meeting theirs, which means uh, who's going to collaborate, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. so, 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 you know, the goals, you, there's, there's a set of 40 priorities. And without knowing how they're connected, you select what you think are the most pro important priorities uh, for that goal. And then... Mm -hmm. They map onto these polarities that I'm talking about and onto your personality type and onto emotional intelligence because it takes a lot of stuff for us to break through our mindsets, yeah. our blind spots, because uh, mm -hmm. we call them blind spots for a reason. Right. And, you know, people look at how they map it and, and their reactions are either, uh, no wonder I haven't gotten anywhere or no wonder I'm tired or yes, I was meant to do this. I am mm -hmm. wired to reach this goal. And then we have to figure out how to measure it. So how do you measure that you're being more empathetic? Or how do you measure that trust is increasing? Or how do you measure that you're really empowering people? And those conversations can run for an hour and a half as people, last week in this, this workshop I did, the best part was uh, no one was ready to go out the door when the workshop was over. Everybody was still buzzing was and talking sign. because they're deep in how am I actually going to lead this? Mm -hmm. um, not how, you know, uh, not the logistics of it, but the actual, um, how do I create the, the um, sense of purpose in everyone and ensure that the conditions for collective teacher efficacy are right, that number one strategy for increasing growth of students. Um, and it's, you know, that's the whole purpose of it. So it's real-time strategic planning for leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, I had noticed that there was a, a section also looking at flexibility in that um, in that text. Can you yes. uh, talk about how you visualize the role of flexibility in holistic leadership? You know, there's there's two pieces. Um, it ties with planning, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm sure all of us have experienced putting together a professional development plan or a strategic plan and pulling it out a few months later and realizing it wasn't even the right goal, yeah, that other like, things are going on. I need this now. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so, you know, the best, you know, if you think about loose tight leadership is often how it's described and the best 
um, planners actually plan to flex. You know, let's look at this mm -hmm. six weeks in and see where our measurements are, or let's recheck things. And, and that's, that's part of plan, planning and flexibility. But there's also the piece of uh, when we ask everyone to lockstep move in one direction, because people don't have the same strengths, the same fears, the same beliefs, you, even, if, even if you ask them all to do the same thing, it won't all look the same. Mm -hmm. And so there's this huge piece of planning and flexibility that's about being clear on goals or being clear about what has to be implemented with fidelity and then where people can flex. And that, um, you know, overdoing the planning and the lockstep, of course, we call micromanagement. Mm -hmm. And some people under, you know, they, they macromanage without enough micro. And there's other people that are hardwired to do the opposite. And so, you know, if that was one of the um, polarities that came out as key to your goal, then you might be looking at how do I give more autonomy to the people under me? How do I have them come to me when they need more instruction or more guidance or a check-in? Mm -hmm. Am I on target versus me checking in on them? Or, you know, I think of a, a kindergarten team I worked with that were um, so concerned that collaborative lesson planning would mean um, no creativity in their own classrooms, right. that they'd feel bored with their own lessons. And as we worked on a unit plan, they realized, you know, there's only three of the goals for the unit that we should really all do the same way so that the first grade teachers know this is what happened in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it, wow, we could even do classroom walkthroughs so they could see, you know, the students could actually experience, it was a seeds unit, uh, science on, you know, seeds. So okay. they could see, you know, what happens if um, to seeds that are supposed to grow in water versus seeds that grow in the dark versus seeds that grow in soil. We could turn it into a, you know, a bigger uh, learning experience if we don't do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the planning and flexibility is where do we have to be the same? Where can people be themselves? Uh, or where does creativity come in? Because having everyone do it the same way uh, actually won't meet the needs of students as much or the needs of teachers as it will if we let them go off and use their their creative side yeah it sounds like it sounds like what you're describing really is predicated on a certain level of trust which is you know if you want collaborative teams if you want actual teaming if you believe that both individual performance and team performance again are a polarity they're interdependent um, and we know that trust is that underpinning of collective teacher efficacy that sense mm -hmm. that we can help students grow and We've got the tools to do it. Um, I mean, that's the number one strategy, according to meta-analysis, for, in, you know, it beats any reading strategy. It beats any sort of test preparation. It beats math curriculum. Just having teachers work together with that sense of um, being able to reach the purpose set out for them. So, yeah, trust right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in that, uh, in that book, is there, you said that there's ways to evaluate the uh, processes. Um, yeah. Are those included in that book or is yep. that, okay. So can you give me an example of like how you might evaluate some of these? Cause these are very, uh, they're much more, you know, squishy than like uh, something where you're, you're looking at um, if I do a B is going to happen. Right. So, so how, how would you go about setting up an evaluative process for, I don't know if you want to just pick one aspect that you, that you've developed uh, an evaluative process for we could go with that well let's let's say it's trust among team members okay and you don't reach goals unless you're very clear on why it's so important okay so that trust element uh on it let's say the they're trying to get true um teacher collaboration where they're sharing mistakes as well as successes and that that's what's happening mm -hmm. in their their learning teams then um why is trust so important because no one's going to share a mistake um, no one, we can't learn from them unless people trust that they're um, in this together is one mm -hmm. way to look at it. So how would you know if that's happening? Um, well, that's almost an easy one. Then people are actually walking into the team meeting saying things like, all right, I thought this would work and it didn't. Who's got a clue as to how I can improve it? You know, when you start hearing those things or people saying, I'm not sure how to do, um, you know, going back to uh, we're starting literature circles. I am mm -hmm. honestly not sure how I'm going to know what's going on in each literature circle. Please help me. If someone walks into a team meeting and is willing to say that, trust is there. Okay. And uh, so that's just one little piece. Um, 
you know, I've seen uh, on the micromanaging side, people trying to pull back from micromanaging, uh, saying things like, did I let others set the calendar, you know, for check-ins? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so someone for, else for someone who's a micromanager, does it maybe take the form of more like a checklist where they're like looking at those things where they're often like, okay, I know that I'm going to go in and I'm going to start, you know, doing this thing. So is that, is that something, I don't know, I'm, I'm sorry, I feel like I've interrupted a bit, but I'm just, that's something that I was thinking, wow, micromanagement goals or whatever might be a lot more difficult to overcome for somebody who's really driven to just be very specific on how things are done. So, so the, the end product in holistic, it's not the end product, it's the product mm -hmm. that you coach, either get coached from or coach yourself from, or, mm -hmm. you know, get an accountability partner for is what I call my priority card. Okay. And you've got your goal at the top. And out of those 40 priorities, you've chosen three. And you've got down why it's so important. And you've got down how will I know if I'm doing this. So if someone's a micromanager, they might come up with number one is listening. You know, mm -hmm. I can't, if, if I'm going to stop micromanaging, I can't be telling people what to do. I've got to be listening to what they think they should do. Mm -hmm. And how will I know? And it could be, did they set the priorities for this or the, did they set the goals for this um, thing? You know, that might mm -hmm. be one way that they're looking for after meetings to sit and reflect. Did I let them do the, um, the way they're going to be monitored on this? Um, the second one might be trust and the person, you know, um, if I'm micromanaging, I'm not trusting. And so how will I know? Am I waiting for them to come to me rather than going back before we said that we right. were going to meet to find out what's going on. It might be as simple as that. Um, you know, and a, and a third one might be something like empathy. And mm -hmm. am I watching for how people react when I get into my micromanagement or, um, you know, am I, I've had people even use their homes as a measurement of how they're doing at work. So have I stopped, you know, checking whether my husband wiped off the counter after he said he wiped off the counter or whatever uh, it is, but using something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And there can be a smart goal within it. Like it, right. it could be that we, it, like, um, let's say it's it, even though it, it's micromanaging around um, Title I documentation, for example, mm -hmm. you still might want on your card, are, you know, are we still on target for all our documentation? You could still have mm -hmm. something like that, a smart goal within this leadership development goal. Mm -hmm. And um, so people get a card, we've got a process for, for checking in and really thinking about how you're going to do it and what the next step is. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell you people like one of my clients um, programmed his, his card into his Audi screen. So when he turns on his car in the morning, he sees his, um, his, his goal. Uh, somebody else has it by their toothbrush holder. Someone else yeah. has it on top of their socks. Someone else has it right on their computer. And they put post-it notes on it every week, changing up how they're doing it so it doesn't become part of the scenery. But to ah. me, it's real-time strategic planning okay. for development. It doesn't go away. You're trying to do this um, day in and day out. Yeah, I like that idea of putting a post-it note on it or, or, or some type of thing to keep it live. Yeah. Um, um, do you want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, step in, step up? Uh, well, let's, let's circle around to step in, step up. Why not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, we have to understand that archetypes are societal creations of mm -hmm. how we think things should be. So just for example, in the United States, we have an archetype of extroversion. You know, mm -hmm. we reward people who speak up quickly. We, um, you know, expect leaders to be quick on their feet. Class participation has been actually part of grading. We worry about our shy children. And even though we're about 50-50 extroversion and introversion, there's definitely pressure to be more extroverted. Okay. Yes. So we have the same sorts of archetypes for the masculine and the feminine. And just, you know, some men have more of the feminine characteristics and we actually have nicknames for that. Some women have more of the male characteristics and we have nicknames for that. So we're not mm -hmm. talking about what any individual does. We're talking about what society holds up. And, uh, you know, we have a, um, education is a field where the preponderance of people in it are female, and yet the majority of leaders are still male. And how we define leadership still comes out of the masculine. 
And if you go back to the ideas of polarities, a lot of what's going on in education is because we've overemphasized some of the male ideas like accountability, like um, hard measurement, like um, teacher accountability, like standardized testing, like uh, data-driven instruction, like technology. All of those are good things. All of them have something that comes out of the feminine archetype on the other side. So not only do you have technology, but we know that teacher-student relationships are like the, the third most important factor in um, student outcome. Mm-hmm. Not only do you have teacher accountability, but if we aren't supporting them in growth, it's nuts. They, you know, no one's born a teacher, and it takes the same 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to become a teacher as to become an expert in any other field. So if we're not tying accountability and growth with the masculine and feminine archetypal values and strategies and initiatives, you're going to get the downside of both. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I spoke at a women's conference in Australia and two of us out of, out of the melee of uh, faculty ended up being the co-authors of this book called step in step up. And I hope men and women will be in the same room talking about these things because we're not talking Mm -hmm. about getting rid of men in education in any way, shape or form. Uh, We're talking about bringing the best of both. And Whereas up till this time, individual women have sort of, you know, there's, there's this thing called the double bind, where if mm-hmm. women are um, acted out of the feminine archetype of being more empathetic and friendly and all that, they're seen as soft. But if they take on the traditional male leadership style, then they have other names attached to them right. that we won't air. Yeah. And so they're, you know, either way, they're at a disadvantage. And if we're asking them not to work from their strengths, then they can't be the best leaders they should be, nor can the men who lead more out of that style. So we aren't actually, we don't want women just coming in to what has been created. We're trying to change what leadership should look like. And So when you say come into what's been created, you mean just stepping into the shoes that are already there? Is that right. kind of stepping what you're... Into, stepping into what I think is an out i mean we're we're seeing that standardized testing isn't the only if that's what we concentrate on there are a lot of downsides if we um aren't doing principal and teacher and school accountability right with without the support we get the downside um we've already talked about the importance of empathy and trust and these other Mm -hmm. quote-unquote soft skills in leadership not just the results driven piece uh, if we don't get that balance right, schools can't move forward. We need both sides. And they, they come, there was this great study where this, this group asked 16,000 people around the world to take a whole bunch of leadership qualities and say, do you connect these with the masculine or the feminine? And then they asked a different 16,000 people, which of these values do you want to see in leaders? And the, of the top 10, eight were feminine values that people mm-hmm. want to see in leaders. And the other two were neutral. Mm-hmm. And when they were asked flat out, 63% of the participants said, yeah, the world would be a better place if leaders acted more like the archetypal female leaders. Mm-hmm. So how do we move our organizations to incorporate some of these things? And yet as individuals, all of us get to still you know, come into situations where we get to use our strengths, even as we, of course, are using holistic leadership not to get caught in them. Um, So the book is about this, you know, what true barriers are there to women moving into leadership? Why aren't more women applying? And it seems to be going, yes, there are more leaders than there were female leaders than there were 30 years ago, but Mm -hmm. it seems to be plateauing again. Um, What are our personal barriers? What do we need to do as far as our own um, communication style, our own purpose, our own ability to resolve conflict? Where are we in our, our own maturity? You know, so there's this individual women's journey that we try and give people the pieces for. At the same time, we're looking at um, organizationally and systemically, where would we be better off if we get a better balance of what we value in leaders? Um, and, so, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, I was just going to say, we set it up as a 12-week journey. You know, we mean, I love mm-hmm. it when people stay up all night reading my books, but the idea here <laughs> is find um, other people to read it with male or female this isn't you know we hope um, everyone will read it and you know take it a week at a time do the reflective exercises try things out um, there's wonderful links at the solution tree site to get to the videos we talk about the online resources so that you can um, spend time with us 
and over 12 weeks, figure out what your goals are for um, stepping up into a different sort of leadership, whether you're going to do it as a teacher leader level or at a school level or at a district level or at a political level, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It's, yeah, it sounds like a good summer project for people getting ready to start the school year next year. So it'd be a good time to jump in and have that time to reflect and, and think about the uh, topics that you put in. Um, I also looked at uh, some of the links you had. I, I looked at the third space um, thing from Adam Frazier. Um, I actually had written a blog post for Teach Boost on that same topic. So I thought that was interesting that that was included. Um, the uh, As far as the plateau, though, I was going to ask you a question about that. What do you think uh, that idea of the women in leadership is plateauing again? What What do you feel is is causing that? Have you Have you seen any type of um, research on that uh, beyond just that it's happening? Um, I don't know that we've we've got we've got some research in the book that's fairly current on women being more concerned about work-life balance, um, mm -hmm. yeah. women uh, with, with where education is going, not sure that they want to continue playing the game might be a way to mm -hmm. talk about it. Yeah. Um, there's, still, uh, there's still an awful lot of search uh, criteria going on that automatically select more men than women. Uh, like you mean, you like know, just through like filters and stuff like that, right? Where you know, I was just I was talking to a leader who's really sensitive to this, and they went through mm -hmm. their. Um, it was a district, high level district position, and they, he said, you know, we ended up with the three male candidates um, being the only three in the, you know, that was the the top mm -hmm. three, and he mm -hmm. said, there's got to be a bias in our system. We have to go back yeah, and look at yeah. this. Um, yeah. And getting really, really clear on what we're asking for that can do that. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that could, I mean, that even kind of gets back to where we were talking with, uh, with differentiated coaching as far as like setting that criteria. If you're setting it from what you value in your own work, like say for me, if I'm, if I'm very concrete results minded, you know, if I do A, B has to happen, those are what I'm looking for when maybe what, you know, like you had said, there were eight values that people had identified as more feminine that were something that, uh, that people wanted in leadership, but maybe I'm ignoring those because that's just not sort of the way that I zero in on the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. When I, uh, I, I just did a blog talking about, uh, you know, one of the, the systemic ways to go after it is to play yes and. Because, yeah. you know, what we see is um, people still saying things like, man, this, this, she's, she's too tough on us. She's just not empathetic. And that would be the nice way they're phrasing it. Mm -hmm. And so if someone says she's too driven, you might say, well, yes. And boy, I was impressed by how she got the district to give us more money for coaching. Wasn't it cool? Yeah. Or if someone says she just doesn't, um, she expects us to work as hard as she does. And um, you might come back with, yes. And, you know, I'm just amazed at how she pulled off getting that grant for us by putting in those extra hours on, uh, you know, getting our input on right. what would make it work. And just, you know, hammering back at everything that's really a stereotype or um, mm -hmm. that they wouldn't say it of a man because if a man were, um, not being empathetic. We've, we've got the research that yeah, they actually right. expect women to be more yeah. empathy. You know, they actually expect a woman to show more empathy than a man and shoot her down if she's not acting like your mother. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, to just to, to not call people on it directly, um, although then women get in trouble from using more humor, too, is what the research shows. Huh. Um, but, but, you know, to just do those kinds of moves on Yes, and aren't you glad she's persistent? You know, changing the word um, yeah. well, that's and making a, it out there. That yes and thing is something that I've found people have a hard time with. And it's it's interesting because I started in, in college, I was doing comedic improv, and that was a game we played yep. was yep. yes and. And so the idea was it was more of like a... a we would we would perform it sometimes, but mostly it was for practice for you to make sure that you're moving things ahead and considering where that narrative could go, and then to uh -huh. see it show up again in this work, I was I was like, oh well, I know how to do this, and so I yeah, but I've found that people really struggle with with doing yes and to uh, to situations, but it, it's a well, good thinking... activity for for really turning a stereotype around and switching the narrative. 
And I'm thinking it could be a fun way to get at the polarities on Twitter. You know? Yeah, yeah. We have to reach this goal. Yes, and yes, people and. Um, <laughs> yeah. are, are human beings who can't work more than 70 hours a week, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, well, well, I have um, to um, get to a uh, luncheon. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I was actually just going to ask you if you had anything that we hadn't covered that you wanted to add. So um, I'll, I'll leave that open to you. I know you got to get going. Um, so anything you'd like to wrap up with real quick? Um, only that I'm, so, you know, I'm so excited that the, you know, the coaching work is sustainable, especially when people are already certified in instructional coaching to move mm -hmm. to also being certified to use the type coach tool. You know, yeah. we have this phenomenal blended learning program that, you know, gives you the expertise to really help use it. And so one of my, my favorite districts, the head of instructional coaching went through, then he taught six of his fr uh, colleagues mm -hmm. into becoming a certified, actually a type professional. Uh, so there was a certified uh, person in every building and then all the new coaches coming in have been certified and they, they rolled it out through their professional learning communities so that every teacher could take type coach and understand things. And now the teachers are saying, we need to understand how to use this with students because we can see that it's yeah, uh, the coaches are being helped by us and we need that information. So, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a panacea. It's not a cure all, but it opens up these conversations for the both ends of teaching yeah. and learning. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And with you. Well, thank um, you. Just my favorite <laughs> soapbox is to get on. So I appreciate it. <laughs> great. Great. Well, have a good day and, uh, and thanks for your insights. No, oh, thanks. All right. Great. Well, take care. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Bye bye. Right, bye. So that's episode 25. Thanks again to Dr. Jane Kesey for the conversation. Like I said, it was a privilege to be able to talk with someone who really provided a formative text for me to begin my career with Albemarle as an instructional coach. So I really did enjoy having the opportunity to speak with her. Um, now as far as the next episode goes, that will be a conversation with Dr. Gravity Goldberg. In fact, I've already recorded that. Uh, we just uh, talked a couple days ago. Um, so uh, be ready for that. I'll be working on the editing and so forth in the next few weeks so that it'll be ready to come out in July. We have more podcasts available at theednarrative.com. You can also go to the contact link, and if you'd like to email me directly, I will definitely respond to your email. Um, you may also follow us on Twitter, at theednarrative. Uh, you can message me there as well. Give us a follow. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you later. Bye.